And I was going to ask you if you thought that perhaps if it is true, um, subconsciously that may have laid down some kind of sadomasochistic streak in Ghislaine. It's... There are, she also, Eleanor Berry also talks about Betty Maxwell giving her a book of Marquis de Sade and two more pieces of information. Um, in 2002, um, um, Vicky, I'm trying to remember the name of the British reporter who worked for Vanity Fair. Um, I've forgotten her name. Anyway, the reporter working for Vanity Fair interviews Epstein uh, in Manhattan, and there's only one book in the Manhattan House on show, and it's Marquis de Sade. And when the Palm Beach Police Department raided Epstein's house in um, um, Palm Beach, um, they find an Amazon receipt for three books about sadomasochism. So what you've got there is some evidence. The first piece of evidence is more difficult to assess. I don't know what happened. Um, because I wasn't there, but it's clear that Epstein was into sadomasochism, and this evidence from Eleanor Berry points to Ghislaine being there. Now, there's a difference in that none of the women, these young girls who were sexually abused by Epstein, talk about physical sadism. But there is a kind of psychological sadism in what happens to them. They didn't know that they were going to be, or the ones I've spoken to, didn't know that they were going to end up giving sexualized uh, massages. They didn't know that. And then there's another piece of detail um, from the Vanity Fair writer. When you went into the, his house in Manhattan, there was the hall was decorated with... Um, glass eyes made for British Tommies, British soldiers in the First World War who'd been blinded. And they'd obviously overproduced these awful things. And so this wall was covered with this stuff as you come into the house. And that's creepy with a capital C, Sean. Yeah. And I think anybody who can imagine the suffering of that generation, the First World War, that be blinded, for that to be a kind of talking point in, in your house as you come in, that's to me, that's about sadism. It's about frightening people and creeping them out and, and enjoying it and savoring it. Now, one of the witnesses um, um, against Epstein um, um, is a woman called Maria Farmer, who says that when she was a receptionist in the, uh, in the house, um, of Epstein's house in Manhattan, she was taken into a back room and there were TV monitors. Remember, this is 96 when you had to have monitors to show stuff. But basically the monitors showed, there's a, a bank of monitors and they showed all the, you know, toilet, massage table, bed. So toilet, massage table, bed again and again and again. So I suspect that there was also a TV camera hidden in the hall and people could see these, this wall of glass eyes and watch the fear in their minds. So the, the kind of working hypothesis of our podcast, Hunting Shalane, is that when her father dies, Shalane Maxwell loses one monster. She goes to Manhattan and finds another. This is absolutely breathtaking. And for people on this channel who are obsessed with this case, you are, the, the information you've, 
given us today honestly it's um really putting a lot of things into place that we've been trying to work our way around and, and research so you've covered tons of ground there so i've got a few questions just going back over everything what you've said first one then is so my understanding is maxwell's mum robert maxwell's mum told him to go to england and copy the mannerisms of an english gentleman and you'll succeed in life and then we've got these descriptions of his very early um, humble origins. Do you think that his early humble origins, he described them accurately or he exaggerated them to do a rags to riches? I think he was poor. Um, his, his old man was a smuggler and they lived, um, they lived on the edge of the old, um, actually, well, it was Czechoslovakia, um, which had been the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So... I think that they were poor, but they knew, he knew how to jump across borders. He knew how to do trade. And so you, you get that, that flavor of stuff. Uh, but I think he really was poor. I think, for example, um, somebody phoned me up um, or somebody emailed me um, who wants to do research into rich men going to the toilet in this way. Oh, leaving that, for example, wiping um, the bottom of... And also the other thing he used to do was have meetings with people while he was on the loo and you could hear him evacuate and stuff like that now i and i believe that to be true and um this um young woman researcher got in touch with me and said do you think many rich men do this and my speculation <laughs> is that rupert murdoch or um or um um uh, you know bill gates don't do this because they were brought up in money anyway, or Bill Gates was um, relatively well off. Uh, Rupert Murdoch was very well off. His father was a rich man. And they wouldn't do this. But it's the kind of thing, if you were brought up dirt poor, you would do. And as you get older, you kind of revert um, in, a, in a funny way. So I, that's my, um, so my, my sense of it is that, yes, he was very, very poor. He was streetwise and cunning, which is how he survived. He was a great survivor. The whole family are survivors too. Um, I don't know about the story about the mum. It could well be true. He does have an opportunity when he's, I think he's in North Africa. He could have gone to the States, but he ended up going uh, to Britain. Um, I think that's primarily because Britain was in the war in 1940 when he had to make his decision and America was still neutral at that point. Okay, so he built this empire then based on unlocking this treasure trove of scientific documents that were translated. Now, tens of millions of people were involved in World War II. What made him unique, a soldier, to be able to see that treasure trove, to access that treasure trove, and then to parlay that into this massive fortune? He was, so that what happened was that there was a, um, a German publisher called Springer um, who, who wanted to publish. He wanted to publish his newspaper and he also knew people who wanted to publish their scientific paper. If you're interested in the Epstein case, I take a much deeper dive in my books, which are available worldwide than Amazon. We've got Who Killed Epstein, Prince Andrew or Bill Clinton. Virginia Gaffrey alleged that Epstein ordered her to have sex with Prince Andrew three times. 
including an orgy on the Pedo Island, which included underage European girls. On the Lolita Express, Bill Clinton was photographed with Epstein's sex slaves. After Epstein was suicided, both men denied any knowledge of his crimes. This book examines the roles of Epstein and his accomplices in the Honey Trap operation and the likelihood of a royal prince or an ex-president being co-conspirators in his assassination. That's Who Killed Epstein. Then I've got Elite Predators, from Jimmy Savile and Lord Mountbatten to Jeffrey Epstein and Galen Maxwell. In 2022, Galen Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison after she had procured teenage girls for Epstein and his predator pals. The connections included the most powerful people in the world, ranging from royal family members such as Prince Andrew to former presidents, including Bill Clinton. While the mainstream media protects the innermost circles of the establishment, this book reveals the harrowing truth of elite child molesters and the calculated methods they employ to conceal the horrific activities, which often span decades. And then more recently, I've released Untouchable Jimmy Savile. Savile was a practicing Catholic who raped young boys and girls and had sex with corpses. He was a God-fearing believer who participated in satanic rituals. He was an unprecedentedly generous charity fundraiser who was too tight to buy his own meals. He was a friend of princes and dukes who ate bacon sandwiches at his local Greasy Spoon. He was a peace activist who tied up troublemakers in his nightclubs and had them brutally beaten. He was a furry godfather who hated children. Untouchable Jimmy Savile demolishes the mainstream media narratives portrayed in Netflix's and the BBC's documentary. And we show that Savile's behavior was enabled by the most powerful members of the establishment for whom he was a fixer and a procurer. So these three books are available worldwide on Amazon, paperback, ebook, audiobook. They've got hundreds of five-star reviews. Check them out. From before the Nazis, I, so there's a memory going back, we can make money out of doing this and we've got this stuff. The problem is being German at this point in 1945, 1946, they weren't allowed to. The man in charge of both censoring but also approving paper so i uh, i am the officer in charge of allowing you um if you're german sean in 1946 to publish a newspaper that man is robert maxwell (laughs) filling in all the blanks john sweeney (laughs) we have skirted around these things for so long So so he is in a perfect place and he's the son of a smuggler. <gasps> he's the son of a smuggler who knows how to horse trade. And so what he does is that he uses um he uses his and you know, is it a bit corrupt? I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. It's also kind of virtuous because what what he's essentially doing is giving an injection of, of of money and belief into good Germans who want to publish good stuff, and 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 pick up, uh, you know, Germany's defeated and pick it up and help them, and get them going again. So that there is, it's not all um, um, uh, crooked money here. Did he make a ton of money off the back of this position? Yes, but he saw his opportunity and went for it. Um, which so fair play to him. Uh, that's a good thing. Now, 
anyway, the, the, ask me um, far away. I yeah. Got so lots of, all right. So I own my own little I can, t- I can talk about this all the time. Yes. Let's let's. We've got. I, I yeah, need to we, go to we, bed at midnight. Uh, we've okay. got five hours. The longest podcast we've <laughs> That's done. A is, joke. The long, longest one we've done so far is four hours ten minutes. Oh, wait, yeah, fuck off. I'm not doing that. <laughs> John Wedge is like, I got my record. All right. So. In this modern era of the internet and technology, I've got my own little publishing company and I can facilitate that, you know, through files and stuff. We're going back now almost 100 years when technology was a lot different. It must have been quite cumbersome, though, even though he's got this connection and he sees these, you know, these scientific documents to then build a publishing company in that era. Isn't that a lot of hard work? Not really, because the publishers, the German publishers, had done it before. Mm. So, so what happens is when the Nazis come along in 1933, everything, can get, everything becomes a national state secret and they close it down. But before, when uh, in the Weimar Germany, when, you know, they had proper German publications and it would be the German, um, I'm, I'm making this up, but you get the flavor of it, the German uh, magazine of uh, metallurgy, um, you know, um, German uh, magazines, periodicals, really on chemistry. We can do this. We can. This is a clever way of making synthetic rubber. And suddenly, you know, that's worth money. And all the big universities in the West want to buy a copy. So it was a license. He he saw it. It was a license to print money. He wasn't a genius because the guys who wanted to do that knocked on the door. But I'm not doubting for a second, Sean, that he was. He was a great entrepreneur, and he had a tremendous memory. Um, it was eidetic, I think, is, is is the clever phrase for it. I'm not quite sure what it means, but it's something like you. It's photographic, and he could also, you know, he could. He, you know, he's British, although actually he's originally Czech, but um, he's pretending to be posh, posh British. He's working with Germans, and he's making money. Then he then he works out that the next hidden market after uh, Germany rises and rises, but still he's got his magazines and periodicals. He never loses that for a long, long time. He then starts going in and trading with the Soviet bloc as well, which is another difficult area. And people are going, well, what's he doing over there? Now, part of it is because he's from there. Part of it is because he speaks the language. He affects throughout his life to being a socialist though actually he behaves um, like a kind of monster capitalist the whole way through in the, the way he deals with his own family, with people, his employers, all that stuff. Um, so he's a blazing hypocrite, which is the kind of person who actually went down well with the Ceausescu's um, of this world. Um, his problem is that after 1989 and the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of Soviet Eastern Europe, his old... Um, fishing grounds had, um, had, had had closed down. They were onto new things, and so he was a kind of a beast from another time, uh, kind of like a polar bear. But the the um, the ice cap was melting, and he made a series of mistakes. The, the big one was he wanted to best Murdoch. He wanted to to ha- be a big publisher in the states, and he he went in and bought stuff. Um, in the States, um, the Macmillan Airline Guide, which was a silly um, um, bet he made, and basically he paid a million dollars more. Then there was a financial crash, um, 91, and suddenly 
he couldn't he couldn't um run his business and what he started doing was robbing peter to pay paul now in his mind it didn't matter but he became uh, his his share price kept on going down and down and down and then he started raiding his workers pension funds and at one point Gillem, uh, according to tom bauer has written the definitive book about robert maxwell a year before he dies in um it's the 5th of november 1990 she flies concord um goes to new york meets um a lawyer who gives her paper representing shares with Berlitz language school which is worth 200 million dollars and that belongs to a one of his publicly quoted companies on the london stock exchange she flies back i think she parties in new york then flies back um uh, the next day and gives it to robert and then robert puts it in one of his private companies so what's happened is he's just stolen 200 million dollars from the shareholders in his publicly quoted company and he kept on doing that again and again and again but he couldn't keep up and then that then we get to the place where in um october um um 1991 he goes on his yacht now it's called the lady jelaine after his little daughter who he loved the most after his daughter um is currently in prison in new york she denies the six charges she's facing but she's rotting in hell in an awful prison cell so the question you've got to ask is is robert maxwell the man who ended up deforming this poor woman so that's how she ended up in this awful place she's in I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade Mantor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organized crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the mafia's past present and future join us for an unforgettable evening with michael francis the original goodfella as he exclusively sits down with myself sean atwood with me as the host there's going to be a no holes barred exploration of michael francis's life including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive in-conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers.